Welcome to Decision Space, a podcast about the decisions in games. This is the only show that takes place right here in the decision space between the turns of your favorite game. I'm Jake. I'm Brendan. I'm Jamie. And today we are talking with Jamie Stegmeier about the value of board games. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we are absolutely delighted to have you on. Yeah, it's one of your first few episodes. So I'm honored to, uh, to join you for this. Yeah, you're actually the first uh, guest we're having on. So Ooh. no pressure to any uh, <laughs> follow-ups after, after this. If you, I'll go ahead and just introduce you to our audience in, in case there's anyone out there who doesn't know who you are. Uh, Jamie Stegmeier is the president and CEO of Stonemeyer Games, responsible for such mega hit as Wingspan, uh, which has personally brought people in my life into the board gaming hobby, which is fantastic. Uh, if that wasn't enough, you're also the, the designer of two board games in the top 25 games of all time on Board Game Geek, uh, Scythe and Viticulture. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, you are a man who has never beaten me at disc golf, though you're getting closer. <laughs> most importantly, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I want to give you an opportunity uh, at the start. I think this show is going to come out simultaneously with some big news from uh, Stonemeyer Games. So would you want to maybe briefly touch on the pre-order you got going on? Yeah. So as you mentioned, we have we have 10... Well, you didn't mention this. We have 10 games so far at Stonemeyer Games. And our 11th game will be Red Rising, which is a game that I co-designed based on an IP, a book series called Red Rising that I really, really love and have tried to make this game for a long, long time. So I'm so excited to finally be able to bring it to people. We've already made the game, we fully designed it, and it'll be available for pre-order on March 3rd. Can I just really quickly say too that I think the art in Red Rising, the presentation of it is just gorgeous, Jamie. The oh. card that Jake shared on his Insta Instagram, I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. It just pulled me in instantaneously. Thank you. Yeah, that was, that was a fun process because I, I worked with a few artists that really knew that world. And so mm. that was easy for me as a publisher. I didn't have to give them very specific instructions. They kind of just created art based on what they knew about the world. But yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it. Have, have either of you read the books? Oh, Jake, you, you mentioned to me that you're getting to it after you read Dune, right? That's right. So yes, it could yeah. be many months still, but okay. uh, I, I do plan to read it. Yeah. Um, and Brendan, have you yeah. read it? No. I haven't. No, I'm intrigued though. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I am excited about the game and... Uh, that will actually be live uh, for pre-order on the Stonemeyer website uh, simultaneous with the release of this episode. So I think awesome. if you get, you know, uh, maybe two or three more orders than you're expecting, you can just credit <laughs> that right back to us. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also wanted to mention just, uh, so I, I work in nonprofit fundraising space and, and you did one thing that I thought was just amazing in uh, association with the release of this game, which was... Uh, giving just a really a tremendous contribution to the ACLU. So I, I wanted to highlight that and maybe just give you a second if you wanted to briefly mention like why you wanted to do that. Yeah, I mean, the, the subject matter for this game, I, I guess the world of Red Rising is a dystopian world and it's kind of an allegory about civil liberties and race. Um, and so we th I thought I'd, I'd try to do something good with the game from the start. And so for every person who signed up for a pre-order launch notification in the first two weeks when I was announcing what the game is, we donated a dollar um, to the ACLU um, to, to help protect those civil liberties that, that uh, we hold so dear in, in America and hopefully around the world. And so we ended up donating, uh, thanks to the people who signed up, we donated a little over $10,000 to the ACLU. 
Um, I got a nice note from the Missouri branch of the ACLU about that. And yeah, just felt good to do. I, I think we'll make way more money than that in the pre-order. And so it just felt good to give a, l- a little bit of that back to a, a great cause. That's, I mean, that's amazing. And as, you know, a Missouri resident, somebody who's, mm. you know, passionate about protecting civil liberties and, you know, knowing, you know, we can do so much more in this state and country, uh, that means a lot. And it's just, you know, a fantastic gift. Uh, so, you know, thank you. Yeah. yeah thank you. Thanks. Jeremy. Yeah. Well, let's get into the main topic today. I figured since we have uh, Jamie here with us, uh, somebody who knows a lot about the marketplace value of board games, uh, we, we could get into the topic of the value of games. But with a little caveat, instead of talking about economics, uh, I, I thought it'd be fun to talk about kind of the value games bring to our lives, why we personally choose to play games and why we think you know, this is a great hobby for others to take part in. While we're focused on uh, decisions in games uh, on this podcast, I think it might also be relevant to our listeners, the decision to play games. Uh, So how does that sound to y'all? Yeah, sounds great. Great. So we'll just do like kind of a round table, taking turns, uh, giving one of the reasons we play games and then uh, discussing amongst ourselves uh, those reasons. So, Jamie, uh, the floor is yours if you want to get us started. Sure. Yeah, I, I have uh, one, uh, two answers that will be related to me as a gamer and one related to me as a game designer. Um, the first one kind of ties probably the closest to your podcast. And it is one of the things that I really value about games is low stakes uh, problem solving. I think, you know, in our jobs, in our lives, our our relationships we have in real life, we have plenty of problems that we solve on a daily basis. And they are ranging from, you know, medium to high stakes often. But in games, I love that I can have these decisions that thematically are momentous, but uh, they are very low stakes. If I I lose the game, if I make a bad choice in a game, um, I can clean up the game and, and, uh, you know, kind of forget about it and and try it again or or maybe think about it and try a, a different strategy the next time I play. And so I love that games provide me that opportunity to to make really interesting, clever, sometimes clever, sometimes really dumb decisions, uh, but in a low stakes situation. Can you guys relate it all to that in the, in the games that you play? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that That's close to one of mine, which is like, I feel like games uh, give give you the opportunity to like make an impact in something. And then like it gives you instant feedback about the decisions you made. Or I feel like when you're talking about like the decisions you make in life, you know, you could go your whole life and not know if that, if that was like the optimal outcome or not. And I love that about games. I feel like because of, you know, the just vast amount of information we're getting and consuming from angles, from all angles, like board games, one space where like that is distilled and, and I can actually get feedback on a decision I've made. And I feel like that's something I don't get in a lot of other places. I really like too, Jamie, that you use the word low stakes, because I think it, it that to me sort of highlights the ability for us to take meaningful risks within the systems that we might not take in a high stakes environment. And that's something I love about games. Um, I like the the opportunity to take risky decisions that I can be punished for, but but not have it be truly punishing. It's sort of a that's a really interesting way to explore, uh, I think, human inclinations that we have that we don't necessarily might not necessarily feel comfortable taking outside of the space of a game, which is really interesting that games provide that space for us. Yeah, I, I, I told, I, yeah it's a safe space to make those decisions. Um, and I like that even within different types of games, those decisions, uh, like within that low stake range, there can be like 
low to high stakes within that range. Like if you're playing a legacy game where you make a decision, it could have a long-term impact over the next yeah. 10 games that you play. If you're playing a 15-minute game, a filler game, um, versus a Twilight Imperium, like a six-hour game, those decisions can even have that, have that range. They're still low stakes, but it can impact like a long, longer amount of time um, when you're playing those games. Yeah, definitely. And it's so interesting how that itself sort of, I, I have to wonder if we'll get back to talking about the way in which games informs just the way we live life in general. That seems to be a theme on our podcast already. Um, but it's interesting how sort of the, the different versions of the games, whether it's legacy games or something longer like Twilight Imperium that's contained in one space or like, I'm just playing a game of Rummy with my family and I'm going to take a weird risk, allow us to explore the consequences of decisions we make generally in different venues of our life, right? Like the decisions we make in life in general also have varying degrees of consequences based on the type of decision. So it's interesting. Right. Jake, why are you giggling? I don't know. I just think, uh, I think it's an interesting conversation. I was just enjoying it. Uh, Brendan, <laughs> why don't you uh, give us your, your first one, if you don't mind? Yeah, so my first one, the reason why I, a huge reason why I value playing games is interaction. I think that games, so, and there's two threads to that. One is interaction with other human beings. That's obviously a huge reason why I play games. I love that, especially board games, bring me interaction into interaction with other people, uh, whether it's family, friends. I also really value the interaction of games as a medium. Uh, there aren't any other types of media, really, that give you feedback, so even if other people aren't involved with the game, I am physically having feedback based on my gameplay experience. I'm interacting with a piece of media that I might not interact with in the same way I would a book or a movie or music. And I really love that about games, that, that, that they talk back and they have personalities in that way. As an extension of that, there's also the interactions within the gaming community. Um, like what you guys are doing right now, you're having conversations based on these topics that you're really focusing on and, and having people comment on them. And I love that that there is a, a pretty wonderful community of people on different forums, different platforms where you can really dive deep into a specific game that you love or a specific type of game. Um, I, I think that's like, I, like I love talking about games and I like that there are platforms to do that and ways to do that within the gaming community. Yeah, definitely. Same. It's, it's pretty amazing that just because of our affection, just people who are in the community generally, our affection for games brings us together. Like mm -hmm. the fact that the three of us are sitting here talking is in some way in its most basic form, just because we like playing games. And that's really powerful that it comes from that sort of core level of we value playing games. And that has led us to having this conversation. Together. Yeah. I want to highlight too, like the interactions we have with our friends playing games are unlike interactions that you get to have with friends in almost any other setting. Mm. Like I think back to when I first joined this hobby in a serious way uh, back in like 2015, I was 23 and uh, basically hanging out with friends meant like getting together and drinking beer or like going to a bar and drinking beer. And like, you know, <laughs> you'd have like sometimes like funny conversations, but you know, those interactions like were not super fulfilling to me. Mm. And all of a sudden, when I was like introduced to board games and started playing these games with friends and like, I almost like realized anew why I enjoyed the company of my friends so much because it just presented the opportunity for them to be clever and outwit me in a way that would not happen at a bar. And, and you know, or just uh, so I just love that playground to like explore those interactions and honestly enjoy the relationships in your life 
in, in a meaningful way, at least to me. Generally in life, I don't want my friends to be under underhanded or conniving. <laughs> but when I'm playing the resistance, I love exploring that side of my friend's personality, right? Like I have so many, I have vivid memories of games of the resistance or even cosmic encounter where my friends have done things where if they did those things in real life, I, I don't know that they would be my friends, <laughs> but it makes me appreciate them so much more as human beings. And it's so cool that they get to explore those sort of that aspect of themselves uh, through games. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I love being devious and mischievous in certain games. In real life, I do not like being devious or mischievous at all. Yeah. That is not fun for me in real life or fun to do the people I care about. But in games, I, I really enjoy that. Again, it goes back to the low stakes element too. Low stakes interactions. Yeah. Um, as long as every now and then I have seen it carry over outside the game and I, I try to be aware of that because it can carry over a little bit when you when you have these you know resistance style games where you might betray someone. Um Usually it's, it remains within the safe space of the game. It's group dependent for sure. Definitely. Okay, I'm going to bring up my one of yeah. mine, which is a, maybe a smaller topic. But one thing that like I really value about games is the physicality of them. Like I love mm. touching mm. things. I feel like at its most basic level, like a well-produced game. Uh, I was just playing Sagrada for the first time last night. And one thing I just loved about that game is when I drafted a die and placed it into my player board, there was like a satisfying click into place that it was like perfectly secured and, you know, permanent in that space. And I just love that about it. And I feel like in our increasingly digital world, which has been heightened to an extreme extent during the pandemic, you know, I've been working from home, like there just aren't that much, I mean, there are certain like hobbies, but there just aren't that many opportunities to just like play with your hands and, you know, manipulate the board. And I think that really is something that I can't describe exactly why, but it's meaningful and brings value to me in games. Yeah, even the tactile nature of shuffling a really nice deck of cards. Um, mm. Like a, I, I, going back to Red Rising for a second, I, people have asked a lot about, can I sleeve the cards? Will they fit into the box? Can I sleeve these cards? And I get that, but I love the feel of shuffling the cards in Red Rising. It's just, they're, they're slightly bigger cards. They shuffle really well. And that goes for the case for, for many games. But that tactile nature feels so good compared, I mean, it's, it's handy in digital format that it does it for you. But I love that feel of shuffling a good deck of cards together. Yeah. I love holding cards in my hand. I didn't want to bring this mm. up, but I'm like a little bit opposed to the card holders <laughs> in Red Rising because like holding, I, I maybe yeah. this goes back to my roots as a magic player, but like doing like the hand shuffle thing. It's like, yeah. that's like a big part of the game to me. But I guess I yeah. can always just choose not to use it personally. True, true. It's very interesting to me how physical games have become so prominent in our lives is like we increasingly live in a digital world. And I've noticed that my wife and I have just been playing more games this year. It's probably a product of having more free time while we're at home. But it's also just a product of wanting to engage with physical things after spending so much time all the time in that that virtual space. I also, you, you two are talking about the feel of cards, and I love the feel of cards, but I also love the smell of cards, <laughs> the smell of freshly yeah, printed cards. Yeah. It's such a strange thing to talk about uh, because if someone doesn't get it, they just don't get it, right? Mm -hmm. There's someone out there who's listening to this podcast and they're like, why Why is this weirdo talking about smelling his cards? <laughs> but there's there's something so joyful and nostalgic about the smell of freshly printed cards that, I, I don't know, it's just one of those perfect smells to me, like a, like an old book. That's like a next level board game component was like pumped in smells like they do at Disneyland or something. <laughs> All right, uh, Jamie, would you want to give us your next one? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it piggybacks off what Brendan said a little bit, um, which is uh, I am very much so an introvert. 
And so Brenda mentioned interactions. I would add a word to that for me that I really love. I love the structured interactions that games mm. uh, present for me as an introvert. I, I, for example, as an introvert, I don't love small talk. I, 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 if I'm at a bar with a few friends, Jake, like you gave that example, I have a good time. But in small talk, it, it something just uh, feels not right to me. I'm a little uncomfortable. I, I want, I want to have more structure to that. And uh, games provide me that structure. We have something here that we all, we've all decided that we are going to do this thing together. There are rules to it. We're going to play it together. We're going to talk about it while we're playing. It's like a built-in conversation topic. And so as someone, as an introvert who likes to see people and be with other people, it gives me really the ideal uh, structure for interactions that I enjoy and get fulfillment out of. So I, I, that's probably, I mean, that would be number one on my, on my list if I were to rank this, because that, I, that has made such a positive impact on my life in terms of social interactions. That's awesome. I, I love that, Jamie. And I, I do really like this structure of the type of interactions that we have and what it's, it's so interesting because it, to me, it kind of goes back to the magic circle that we were talking about with the resistance in a way that there's a, sometimes when you're having interactions that are based on small talk, there's not a, that sort of similar like social covenant of like, we're agreeing on what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas a game instantly is this agreement between people that we're doing this thing together. Uh, and we're, our goal is to have a, a positive experience in the outcome or to at least be, um, be playing the game because we care to be playing the game. Right. So we're mm-hmm. already, it creates that common ground, even just, even if you before you've even started to play in the game, once you agree, you have something in common. That's, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, I totally agree as well. And I think one of the ones that I have on my list that I'll just uh, touch on now uh, is I feel like that structure too provides like a benefit to people almost at any age and where or stage in life. Um, you know, when when you're a kid, engaging in that structure is like you know kids play. It's the most natural thing in the world to like start learning about like, you know, how to be a member of society. And I think that's really important, Mm -hmm. but I think even, you know, as adults, the age I'm at now, I feel like I really am still able to continue to develop those super important, like emotional intelligence skills that are like really Mm -hmm. valuable uh, to my work as a professional, uh, you know, to my, relationships and like you know being a a better friend a better husband i think that you know games are an incredibly important avenue to practice that and you know it all to me you know comes back to like the practice of that magic circle and existing within a structure that we're all agreeing to i have educators reach out to me from time to time to for me to like recommend a game to them for their classroom that can teach their kids something and I'll often mention games from, from a few other companies, like Genius Games makes games that are focused on like mm. science. They sp- teach a specific element of science. But I think games in general, a lot of games teach great communication skills. Many, many games. So I, I have a bunch to recommend when, they, when I ask about that. But I, that ties directly into what you said there, Jake, about kind of life skills, the, the skills that we can pull out of having those experiences with games. I feel like we're probably, we won't explore this aspect of this, where this conversation could potentially go because it gets very scholarly, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of good work by um, the Dutch writer, John Huizinga on, he wrote Homo Ludens, which basically means uh, man, the player. Mm -hmm. And he looks at like why it's a really scholarly work from the thirties on like, why do people play? And his whole thing is that the games existed even before 
culture before like animals play too. Um, and in some ways the theory is that like animals play literally because it helps us learn things in a safe environment. <laughs> and I think the fact that Jake, you're bringing up, like it gives me a chance to learn how to do these different things. I think that goes back to one of the core reasons that maybe games started existing in the first place. And it goes to the sort of low risk nature that Jamie, you brought up at the outset, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a, a safe environment to, to try things and, and learn at its most core level. Yeah. That's really cool. I haven't heard of that. Homo Ludens? Homo Ludens, yeah. Maybe maybe in the future we can explore that topic more in depth. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, So my next one, there's a few different ways that this could potentially go. Um, But I think one reason why I really value playing games is I think on some level, playing games and having fun, some percentage of that fun just converts to joy for me. And I like feeling joy. It's such a a basic thing. And there's so many reasons to play games. We've covered a lot of them here. You can play games because you, you want to feel sad. And I think they can evoke those emotions. But for me, the reason why in my almost every day of my life for I don't know how many days I play games is because I, I like the joy that they let me feel when I, I make decisions in them. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's just, it makes me happy. It's like such a basic reason. I'm but. glad somebody said it. Yeah, games are fun. And that's yeah. like a super valid yeah. reason to yeah. play them, yeah. if not the most important. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll uh, add, add to that with my next one, which is I think one of the things okay. that makes games fun to me is, uh, it's kind of two parts, but it's, it's a healthy uh, competitive outlet too. Um, and mm. and in that, like games are fun because I can see myself growing and improving in a really concrete way. You know, I can make mm-hmm. leaps in my learning and logic in the way I'm thinking about games. Uh, that to me is like really fun and satisfying. You know, there's almost nothing in gaming I like more than realizing something new about a game system where I'm like, oh, I should mm. not do that at this point in the game because of this new knowledge I have. And, you know, just that moment of like learning something new is like, I will never get old. That will never grow old for me. I just love it. Yeah, I, I actually tying those two things together. I, I, I get a lot of joy from games uh, when I when I have those moments of either feeling cleverness or solving a little problem or even just like a filling a, an objective card or a mission card in a game mm. where that, that little mini burst of, uh, um, you know, just a satisfaction that I, that I completed this thing that I worked towards for a few turns that, that makes me happy. And I get to, I love the games. Give me that opportunity. Get the endorphins go in a little bit. Endorphins. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah. <laughs> I was thinking adrenaline. I was like, that's not right. Endorphins. Yeah. <laughs> From a game design perspective, I think it's really interesting to think about this, this concept generally, just, as the type of games that we've been as a as a culture been playing and making mm-hmm. and how they relate to the completion of goals i think goal driven game design because that's what players like playing or or that that's what the the marketplace seems to encourage are being made more and more right like the 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 games that people played historically there was probably less of a opportunity for the sense of achievement as repeatedly as there are currently, I would have to dive into this, but something like chess or even go, I would think have fewer opportunities of really high moments of um, objective elation from like completing an objective and then having a payoff. And I think culturally that's a really interesting moment that there'll probably be more study on as this trend potentially continues. Or I'm just thinking even like I've started playing a little bit of Magic the Gathering again recently, for better or worse. Um, And a lot of the way that the digital client Magic Arena works is to 
constantly reward me and make me feel good about the the choices that I've made in the game to keep that going. And as much as I know that that's happening, the sort of Skinner box, and I know what they're <laughs> the, the tricks that Wizards of the Coast is using to make it work, part of my brain, the part of my brain that cares about that and the part of my brain that knows are really different. Mm -hmm. And the part of my brain that likes the feeling doesn't really care that intellectually I know I'm being... Um, psychologically encouraged to do this. It's like eating junk food or fast food. It's like your brain knows what's yes. happening, but like that doesn't make it not taste good. <laughs> yep. And the grill still feels good. And it, it's yeah. sort of like, I really like Matt. The sense of mastery is really important to why I play games too. Um, I think it's what drew me to playing Keyforge and sort of meeting you, Jake. And it's what has drawn me to sort of playing other games competitively um and i love that games have room for all different types of experiences too not all games for me have to be mastery but when i do my brain really likes that mm -hmm. i guess to jump off of it too that idea another one i i really like playing games because they are a consistent way that i can get into a state of flow um mm -hmm. so i know for some people i just watched pixar's soul and that's a movie that uh the main character, the protagonist gets into a flow state by playing the piano. It's a fantastic movie and it's pretty important to the plot, that flow state. But for me, games are the way that I most reliably get into that. And it's just a fun place to exist. That's like up there at number probably one or two on my list of, uh, my like list of game uh, design philosophies. I, I, I love mm -hmm. the idea of getting players into that flow. And it's one of the reasons in most of our games that we don't have, um, uh, phase-based turns where you're doing like, you know, five different things on your turn, one phase at a time or a step at a time. And the reason that we don't often have rounds in our turns, because I, I like the flow where you just do one simple thing on your turn and then it's the next player's turn. And then one they do one mm -hmm. simple thing and then it's the next player's turn. I know different games do this in different ways. You mentioned Keyforge does this on a completely different way. But uh, but I, I, I love getting in that flow of the game where you stop almost thinking about that it, that it is a game because you're just thinking about all the interesting things that you're doing or being immersed in the theme, however you want to be immersed in it. Yeah, I think about flow all the time. I, I like that you brought that up. That's really interesting, Jamie, too. That I know we don't want to go too off off on a tangent here, Jake, but that rounds can sort of be a, a barrier to flow mm -hmm. because the physical the the physical structure of the game sort of stops your brain from acting. I, I hadn't right. considered that. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's really interesting, too. And I, I think a lot about, like, sports. I, I'm, you know, a big mm. fan of playing sports. And, you know, you think about, like, the difference between soccer is a game that's basically just constant play and American football where it's just like mm -hmm. so broken up and you know it can be really disorienting for people that aren't really entrenched in that hobby or knowledge to like get into because it's so disruptive to watch a game whereas like you know anybody yeah. can tune into soccer and at least know what's going on yeah maybe not relevant that, yeah no no definitely there's a big difference yeah I think that's super relevant too. As someone who grew up playing baseball and soccer, I think that my brain was in something closer to a flow state more often than soccer. There are things I loved about playing baseball, but the way that it was broken up in that sort of like round-based structure, I think it just, your brain is in a different space. It's way more tactical in that yeah. sense. And I never picked flowers on the soccer field, but I definitely did sitting out in right field as like a little league. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Jamie, do you have another one? Maybe we could do one more, or I guess we're, Pretty yeah. close to the end of the time here. I'll leave it to you. Well, it yeah, yeah. No, we, we, let's finish off our list. Um, okay, great. This is a really great discussion. Um, and that does tie into my, my last element, which is the one that I want to answer from a game designer perspective, which is that a, a huge reason I value games is that I learn from other designers and other publishers. 
I, I learned, I've learned so much and I've been inspired so many times by game after game. Um, I try to credit games. When, whenever I come out with a new game, I often say like, this idea came from Terra Mystica or this idea came from Fantasy Realms because I want people to discover those great games and because I my games wouldn't exist without the foundation those games uh, laid out for me. And so I, I often, when I'm playing games, I'm, I'm having fun as a, as a gamer, as a person, um, but I'm also paying attention to those moments of fun, those moments of frustration and trying to learn from them. So I don't, so I either re- kind of repeat or, or, or recreate those moments of fun and avoid those moments of frustration in the games that I create. So that is really a, a big part of the reason I play games because I, I want to learn from them as a designer. That's fantastic. And I think yeah. uh, I, I can really relate to that in just doing this show even um, because, you know, I've always really been interested in thinking about mechanics. And that's the reason why I want to try a bunch of different things. That's why I don't just, you know, my collection isn't three games. It's, you know, approaching 100 because I want to try yeah. out all these new different things. But in starting this show and really thinking more critically about the decisions I'm making as I'm making them and why they're fun or not fun uh, has kind of made me appreciate old games anew and just, you know, trying to explore and, and learn from them in that way. I know Brendan's a game designer too, so I'm sure he has thoughts. Well, I'm really curious. So a lot of what we've been talking about, Jamie, we've been talking about sort of like intellectual stimulation and emotional stimulation and how both those sides of the coin are really important to why we play games. Do you feel like this sort of like existing in and playing games to learn from other designers, do you, or other designs, and then to, to be in conversation with that and build on that, do you feel like when you're doing that, you're existing in both those spaces, intellectual, emotional, in one of those spaces more than the other? How, if you had to sort of characterize it, how would you? Um, it, it often depends on how many times I've played the game. So if it's, I, I play a lot of games one time. Um, yeah. And when I do that, I would say it's, I lean a little bit more towards the kind of the intellectual, the game design part of my brain. But I also, even then, I try to pay attention to my emotional responses because I'm looking for that fun or that frustration. But the deeper I go into a game, I've played uh, Terra Mystica, you know, dozens and dozens of times at this point. I love that game. And I no longer really think about it from the game design perspective at all. I am just enjoying the strategy of it, the immersion of it um, as a gamer. So I, th- I think it depends a lot on how many times I've played the game. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Thank you. All right. Uh, Brendan, do you have one more? We can- uh I do. My my last one might not be the best capstone one, but I think one thing that I wanted to bring up is I, I play games because I really enjoy pattern completion. And I think games are a really interesting outlet for that. It depends on the game, obviously. Um, and this goes back to a little bit the objective, but I think that as humans, we like seeing, we like making order out of chaos and we like putting things in their places. And games are a really convenient way for us to experience the sensation that comes along with like, putting things where they should be Um, something as like simple as like a game like Tetris or playing patchwork and having the pieces slot together. I I don't know what the, the actual psychology sort of concept for this is, but that just, that's a different type of joy that feels really rewarding as a human. That's so interesting and speaks really closely to like what I was feeling playing Sagrada last night and like clicking a die Mm. into place. Like, again, I don't know how to describe it, but like somewhere in my core, I'm like, I, that feels good. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've heard, uh, uh, this is a, a little different but related. I've heard the design uh, Rob Davia, the guy who's kind of created the legacy format. He's talked a little bit about the psychology of um, opening things for the first time, mm. and that that is like that. Oftentimes, people will open their games, and like that is the biggest moment of joy for them, just to open a game for the first time. And he's kind of brought that into legacy games with opening boxes. It's not exactly pattern completion, but I I like that you said that. I like designers that pay attention to those little. 
those little bursts of uh, endorphins again, but that, that give you that sense of satisfaction when you're playing games. All right. I've got one more. And um, yeah. so my last one is that, and I think this is related to the learning and the joy in learning that comes with games. But I think as humans, we are, you know, what we do is tell stories and games are so good for telling mm. stories with your friends. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not just, you know, I'm, I'm someone who generally prefers more uh, Euro style strategy games. And even in those, like there are incredible narratives that are built each and every time you play the game. You know, to me, like every game really is a story game. And I think there's a lot of really powerful and fun learning that comes from that, as well as just sharing that experience. One thing that I think about a lot uh, in in sort of the stories is is like social deduction games. Uh, We've mentioned the resistance on here. And I think the experience of being somebody who's telling the truth and being told by the group, you know, being accused by the group and being told that you're lying and all and like, and, and you realize everything you're saying is just making you sound more and more guilty. <laughs> was like truly a profound experience for me uh, where it's like, you know, this is, you know, uh, to some extent what it must be like to be accused of like a crime, you know, and, and, you know, people are saying you're guilty of this thing. And, you know, no matter what you say, it's kind of, sounds bad uh coming from an accused person so i i mean to me that was like just one powerful moment but i just think games as opportunity to tell stories to learn from stories to experience uh different things are all reasons that i just really value playing games and in this hobby in general yeah games tell stories uh more organically better than like almost any other device humans have ever created which is is really cool that we've created these physical things that then we can like put stories on top of even games that you wouldn't think would tell stories very well. Now I've like set myself up to be on the precipice of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have a good example, but we, we like to put stories just ra- in random places, mm-hmm. right? Uh, when you're playing a game that doesn't seem like it might fit, even like the Fox in the forest, the story in that game, it's a trick taking game. It's a card game. There's characters in it. Um, it doesn't naturally tell a story, but my, my brain wants to put one there and it will find a way to like, bring all of those disparate pieces together. Uh, and I love that about games, that it invites you to create story where there might not really be anything holding it together. How about uh, soccer again, like going back to that, right? It's just a game about, you know, trying to put a ball into a net <laughs> behind the people. But when we think about something like that, we don't think in the mechanics of the game. You know, it's a yeah. game of heroes and villains, controversy, you know, unfairness and like you know righteous <laughs> victory and i think that's just the way humans are oriented to create stories where you know maybe there's not n- naturally one we see it anyway yeah i recently played uh sleeping gods the first uh, campaign of mm. sleeping gods uh which has a, a it has a written narrative that you're following so it's telling you a story and you're participating in that story and the next day on sunday i played hallertau which the new game from uva rosenberg another farming game from uva rosenberg and it was interesting to see that that difference between the narrative being told to me in Sleeping Gods that I really loved, and then in Hallertau, where there's no story at all like that, but we were each telling our own story of the farms. Like I had, by the end of the game, I had one field because I just didn't want fields. I decided I, I didn't want many fields. I wanted to pursue a strategy. And that told a story in a very otherwise kind of dry Euro game. So I, I like that there are all these types, and you mentioned Resistance, very different types of games there um, that, that, I got a, that I got a story out of that makes those memorable moments in games. I, I love that. I, I, I totally agree. I just want to pull out a little nugget there. I think you just gave uh, uh, Mr. Rosenberg his uh, next 
uh, title, Another Farming Game by Uwe Rosenberg. <laughs> <laughs> I heard there's lots of rocks in this one, though. There are lots of rocks. Yeah, you have to, you have to clear the rocks to, uh, to improve your farmhouse. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, that is a pretty good natural stopping point for this conversation. I, Jamie, do you have any final thoughts? I want to make sure you've got been able to get it all out there. I got it. I mean, I guess the one little note that I had to myself that, uh, like you talked about components, um, I, I almost put uh, that games remove uh, screens when I play games because mm-hmm. I, I like them on the tabletop. But I didn't end up saying that because I have appreciated being able to play games digitally during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still a game to me. There's still a lot of the experience there. It's not exactly what I want, but it is still there. Uh, so that was that was kind of fourth on my list, the idea that I could take a break from screens. And that is still true, but it had, that might... It's just changed a little bit during the pandemic. Definitely. A lifesaver having some of these opportunities to play online, yeah. to, to stay connected while we're distant and all of that. Um, right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jamie. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah. I look look forward to uh, uh, seeing you soon on the disc golf course. And uh, yeah. that'll be a lot of fun too. Uh, if you're new to, to this podcast, uh, Please feel free to give us a follow. We are on Twitter at Decision Space, or no, sorry, at Decision Spa. That's Decision SPA. And uh, <laughs> you should be able to find this podcast on YouTube or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, so thanks again, Jamie, and, and thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Brendan. It's great to meet you and, and be a part of this conversation. And I'm, I'm following you right now at Decision Spa. <laughs> Likewise, Jamie. Thank you so much for coming in. And yeah. yeah. Hopefully you get cozy with us in the decision spot (laughs) on Twitter. You are now exiting the decision space. Thanks for listening. Please take care and enjoy the rest of your game.